Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, I heard recently about um, a guy who had gone to the doctor, and because uh, he hadn't been feeling well, they ran some tests. Doctor came back with the results of the test, and he says, I am so sorry to tell you this, but you've got a terminal illness, and you've only got six months to live. And he was just kind of dumbfounded and shocked by it. And he asked the doctor, well, what can I do? Aren't there, are there any experimental treatments? Are there any, any new treatments or drugs on the line? Is there anything that I can do? And the doctor thought for a little bit, and he said, well, he said, uh, you could move to the country, uh, buy a pig farm, find a widow that with 14, 15, 16 kids or so, marry her, invite them all to live with you on the pig farm. He said, that will make me live longer? He said, no, but I guarantee it'll be the longest six months of your life. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I recently read a book about a year ago, picked up a book um, called One Month to Live, written by Kerry Shook. And, and he raises this question. He says, what would you do if you discovered that you only had one month to live? It's actually kind of a devotional, and it's a daily thing, um, and, and different things about thinking about your life. If you only had 30 days, what would you do differently? Um, would you have any regrets? Would you change anything about your life now so that you didn't have regrets? And then he ends it with this question, if that's what you would do given those circumstances, what is it that keeps you from living that way now? And I think that's a really, really good question. And it goes to what we're going to be talking about today. We have this year been spending time together through the story. And it's, it's God's unfolding story of redemption. God's work in this world. And, and how all the way back in creation, we lost that relationship with God. And over the course of human history, what God has been doing in this unfolding story has been renewing that relationship and opening this new way that he finally culminated for us in Jesus Christ. And, and, um, and it's just, it's life transforming. It really is. And, and as we've been going through, we've been looking at all the Old Testament, all the New Testament. And last week, Pastor Larry did a great job covering a lot of material, the whole life and ministry pretty much of Paul. And we pick up the story today at the very end of Paul's life. What has happened is um, that he has, he's been transformed. He used to be a persecutor of the church. He was just bent on destroying and, and quashing this, this new faith called Christianity. And, and he had an encounter with Jesus that absolutely transformed his life. And he became probably the single greatest, most influential outside of Jesus um, on the Christian faith. And we find him at the end of his life, after he's gone on many missionary journeys, planted many, many churches. Um, he has been arrested and all kinds of things happen. He finally gets arrested in Jerusalem, gets brought to Rome because he makes an appeal to Caesar. And where we pick up the story today is he is in a jail cell in Rome and he is facing the death sentence. And while he's in Rome in prison, he writes letters. He can't preach anymore. He can't plant churches anymore, but he writes letters. He writes letters to churches and gives instructions. And, and then he writes the last letter, the very last letter that we have that's in our Bible, is a letter to a young protege pastor, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. His name was Timothy. He actually wrote him two letters. The second letter is the one we're going to look at because it's Paul at the very end of his life writing probably his last letter. And at the very end of that letter, he writes these words to Timothy. If you want to turn there, it's in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. 
Um, if you've got your copy of the story with you, um, it's at the pay, on page 458. And Paul writes these simple words. It's the end of his life. I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. As he's facing the end of his life, in that prison cell, looking back over everything, that's what he ends with. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, no regrets. No regrets. I have done with my life what I believe God had called me to do. And I think there are some things that the words that he uses, those three phrases that he uses, are actually are, are taken from um, the Greek and, and Roman games. They're, they're, they're athletic analogies, if you will. And each one of them has, has a real meaning to them. And I think there's very meaningful for each of us as we think about the fact that every one of us someday will come to the end of our life. And to be able to say, no regrets, that I have fought the good fight, I have run the race, I have kept the faith. And every one of those speak to this regret-free living. And they're applicable to your life and to mine. So I'm going to look at them together with you. And I'm going to look at the first phrase. And it has to do with this. It has to do with living your life with intentionality. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. Now, those are really specific words. And it it's, it's kind of has reference to boxing or to wrestling, but it's not confined to that. It really has to do with, with being all in. You know, athletes sometimes talk about giving 110%. I don't know how you do that. 100% was always the most you could give as far as I knew. But, but they're talking about that I left nothing. I took nothing off the field. I left it all out there. I did everything. In fact, the word that he uses here, I fought the good fight. That word fight, the Greek word for it, which is the original language our Bible was written in, the Greek word is agon, which is where we get our English word agony or agonize. You know, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. You remember that phrase? Well, it's not the agony of defeat. It really has to do with that, that I strenuously contended, that I gave it my all, that I held nothing back, that as I walk off the field at the end of the game, I got nothing left. He's saying, live your life with a sense of intentionality. Now, Paul could write that at the end of his life, because that's the way that he lived his life. In fact, earlier he had written a letter to the Philippian church. And he wrote this words, these words. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, that was the attitude of his life. There was a single-mindedness about everything that he did. That he knew what his calling was. He knew what his gifts were. He, he knew what God had given to him. And he was intent on living his life with that purpose in mind. Living with intentionality. Now I want to take a few moments to, to kind of clarify that. Because sometimes we think about that and we think, well that means that just sounds like it's all hard work. And it's pressing, pressing, pressing. And just going, going, going until you burn yourself out. Okay, That is not what this is about. Because we, we, we sometimes have this feeling, if I'm not doing something productive every moment of my life, then, then somehow I am, I'm slacking. And that just isn't the case. Jesus often took time 
to draw back from the crowds to a quiet place for rest. In fact, it was God himself who established the Sabbath. There is a rhythm. There is a pacing to our lives. And I think sometimes we get into this busyness and this hurried, hurried living that, that we're just kind of, you know, the, the tachometer on the, on the dashboard of your car. Anybody know what that is? You know, it used to be there when, when you had manual shifts and it was to tell you that you're revving the engine too high and it's time to shift up, okay? Now, we've got automatic transmissions, but we still have these tachometers. Nobody knows what they're about. But there's a red line, okay? There's a point at which there's a red line there. And it's like if you are running in the red line, that's not good for your engine. If you are running your life at the red line, that is not good for your life. It is not good for your soul. It's an old saying, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think. <laughs> and it's true. This singularity of purpose, this intentional living is really about utilizing all of my gifts, my talents, my time, my treasure, using the resources that God has given me for a purpose greater than myself that has an eternal impact on people's lives. And, and it comes from the very depth of my being. One of the things that's clear throughout Scripture is God has entrusted each and every one of us certain gifts, certain abilities, talents. Um, he's given us certain resources. He's given all of us a certain amount of time. We all have certain resources and financial abilities. And it's not the same as anybody else. But the point is, use what it is that God has given you. Paul wrote about it. He wrote about to the, to the Corinthian church. He said, there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. On your outline there, that, that scripture's there. Circle these two phrases, all of them and in everyone. What he's saying is, that's you. <laughs> this is how God does his work in this world. He does it through you. He does it through you and the gifts that he's given you and the talents that he's given you and the abilities that he's given you in the time that he's given you with the treasures that he's given to you. You have a place in this world. You have a calling and live with intentionality. Live with intentionality. Throughout this whole series called The Story, we've been looking at this idea that there is an upper story where God is unfolding his work in this world, but he's doing it on this earth in this lower story through ordinary everyday people every story after story as we've read through the scriptures together as we've studied them taught on them together what we find it's just ordinary people who understood god's call on their life and the same thing is true for you it is how god works in everything and in everyone and that's why Paul, at the end of his life, writes to Timothy, and he writes these words, I remind you, fan, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, don't let it burn out. Don't let it just die off. Keep it vibrant. Use it. Fan it into flame. Put it to work. So here's a question I want to leave with you. Ask yourself from time to time this question. Am I spending my resources on the things that truly matter? Am I spending my time on things that really count? Am I using my gifts and my talents and my abilities in ways that have an eternal impact? So I think we need to ask ourselves 
that question on a regular basis because it goes to this idea as, am I living intentionally? And there's a second thing, and it has to do with living a life of endurance. Second phrase he uses is, I have finished the race. Now, in other words, what he's saying is, I didn't quit. I didn't give up. A no regrets life is not the same thing as an easy life. It is not the same thing as a no problem, no worries, no troubles life, okay? In fact, very often it is just the opposite. Paul wrote about some of his experiences. He wrote these words to the Corinthian church. He said, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Kind of makes you want to sign up for that life, doesn't it? (laughs) If there's anybody who had reason to quit, if there's anybody who had opportunities and, and a lot of really good reasons to give in, it was Paul. But he says, I ran the race. I didn't give in. In fact, he writes about these things. He says, our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The key is have an eternal perspective. It's to understand that God has an upper story purpose for my lower story life. And that God has this ability to take even the most difficult circumstances of our lives and use them for good in our own life and in others. And I've seen this over and over and over again in my life. There's been times I have felt like quitting. There have been times I felt like maybe maybe you're there. Maybe you're there this morning, and you're at one of those quitting points. You're kind of at a low tide, if you will, in your life. And you're just feeling like, you know what? I, this is not worth it anymore. Maybe it's a quitting point in your marriage, in a relationship, or friendship, in your career, in your job, in your education. Maybe it's in your ministry. Maybe it's in your faith. And I don't know why I do this. Just don't give up. No matter how low you might feel, no matter how much the tide has gone out on your life right now, the tide always comes back in. A number of years ago, um, the boat that I crew on, um, Thursday night races out here on the Straits, and um, every year with the, at the um, beginning of the season, because of the rains and all the, the silt that kind of washes down the river and kind of dumps out into the, into the Straits out here, um, the, 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 the low spots kind of shift around a little bit. And so we went out the beginning of the season before the racing season started. We just went out one Sunday afternoon after church, went out just to kind of find out, you know, where the low spots were, because it's, sometimes it's really critical in a race to be able to stay in the shallows and out of the current. Well, we found the low spot. It was a new one. 
and we got stuck in the mud. And all three of us, experienced sailors, not one of us took the time to think about checking the tide charts. The tide was not on its way in. It was on its way out. And we were stuck there in the mud. In fact, actually, actually, the Coast Guard came by in one of their little skiffs, you know, and they came by and they said, hey, is everybody okay? We said, yeah, we're okay. Can you pull us out? He said, no, we just wanted to make sure you're okay. And then they took off. <laughs> we sat there for about four or five hours. But the tide came in. <laughs> you might be at a low point in your life and the tide has gone out. In fact, it might have gone out so far that you're sitting in the mud flats and it kind of stinks right now. Don't give in. Because the tide always comes back in. That's what Paul wrote. He said, let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not Give up. Live with intentionality. Live a life of endurance. And then the last one is live a life of integrity. I've fought the good fight. I've run the race. I have kept the faith. Now again, that phrase has meaning to it. It, it actually refers back to Back to the Greek and Roman games, because at the beginning of the, of the games, they always, the athletes always took an oath at the opening ceremonies. In fact, they do it to this day. You know, you, go, you watch the Olympics, opening ceremonies. They always have one uh, representative on, on behalf of all the athletes, and he gives the oath. And it goes like this. It's changed a little bit over the years. The modern Olympic oath goes like this. In the name of all the competitors, I promise that we shall take part in these Olympic games, respecting and abiding by the rules which govern them, committing ourselves to sport without doping or without drugs. I think that's been added more recently. In the true spirit of sportsmanship, for the glory of sport and the honor of our teams. What Paul says when he says, I have kept the faith, it's kind of formally saying, I played by the rules. I lived up to the oath of the games. That I lived with integrity. Now, if you remember your elementary school um, arithmetic, you know, you learned about integers, and then you learned about fractions, and the difference between them is integers were all whole numbers. That's the same way we get our word integrity. It's living a wholeness of life, which means my private life and my public life are the same, that I'm the same on the inside as I am on the outside. Best definition I ever heard of integrity, it's who you are when nobody's looking. And Paul came to the end of his life and he said, I lived it with integrity. I lived it with intentionality. I lived it with endurance. And I lived it with integrity. It's about your character. Those core convictions, those core values of your life, those non-negotiables, if you will. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about our core values as a church and what we're all about. And those things have been the, the core values of our life since the beginning of this church. And, it, and it's guided the decisions that we have made and, and the directions that we have taken over the last 24 years. You have core convictions, or you should have if you don't. You need to sit down and say, what are the non-negotiables in my life? What are the values that I stick to and believe in no matter what? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, these are the things that determine and guide my life. They are the non-negotiables. Paul said, I lived by these non-negotiables. I lived with integrity. Where do you get those? 
the best source of those? Scriptures. In fact, that's what Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 14. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. They're useful for teaching, for giving me a sense of direction for my life. They're useful for rebuking. When I get off track and I kind of take that business loop, if you will, or take that detour for a while, it, it, they, they, it, and, and then correcting, getting me back on the right track and instruction, moving forward. He said, all of that comes from Scripture. And that's why, that's why we always teach from Scripture around here. It's why we, that's why we spent this whole year going entirely through the Bible so that you would have that sense of God's bigger story, that you would understand how it all hangs together. It's why we, we do it in our community groups. That's why we have Northgate U. It's why all of these things we do are centered around Scripture because we believe that provides us the non-negotiables for life. So read it. And if you're new here and you didn't get one, a copy of the story, um, it's, it's, it's the whole Bible laid out in a narrative form. And, and you can take that and then start now and make this next year your year of going through the story. If you kind of lost your way along the way, pick up where you left off. Keep reading, keep studying, keep learning, keep growing because it will give you those non-negotiables for your life so that you can come to the end of your life and you're able to say, I've fought the good fight. I've run the race, and I have kept the faith. Because I believe that regret-free living is not just for super saints or, or mega Christians. It's for each and every one of us. In fact, that's how Paul ends, ends everything. He says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. It's for you. It's for me. And it's about living with intentionality, with endurance, with integrity. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.